T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Mark Reardon. The heart of America is not government. The center of America is not Washington, D.C. The center of America is the neighborhoods where 330 million Americans are raising their kids and trying to put food on the table and trying to love their neighbors. Mark Reardon. There's nothing worse than a reckless jackass who thinks he's smarter than everybody else. I am the smartest man alive! The Mark Reardon Show is on now. Uh, Quick story I can share with you this afternoon how I knew that the Mark Reardon Show was coming up is I was in a production studio a few minutes ago, and every day, Sue, how are you this afternoon? I'm fine, thank you. I'd share this in real time. So I'm sitting in the... uh, in the, what's the sports office over there at KMOX because I do some work in there. It's actually one of the rooms that functions in this building, which oh. is a little bit of a rarity. And every day, Abby puts out the uh, the little blast for the Twitter, right, in, mm-hmm. in the social media, and I retweet that, and I think I just did that. Um, but, no, I didn't do it. See, that's the thing. So I'm sitting in the... <laughs> I was literally three minutes ago in that office, and I had my iPhone with me. And, you know, when I get a retweet or something like that... It lets you know. It lets me know. So I look at it, I'm like, wait a second... That means it's 3.05, and I'm, you know, 100 <laughs> yards down the hall here and yeah. realized that it was showtime. So I guess that's the long-winded way of me saying I wasn't really prepared to start the show this afternoon. These things do happen. They seem to be happening a little bit more regularly. They but do. it's okay. It's the holiday time of year, and we're going to settle in and do a great show here this afternoon. So. I couldn't get out of my garage. What do you mean by that? You know, when you when you hit it, it just goes... So, what, uh, your car? No, the, the oh, garage, the garage door, door, door Okay. So yesterday a bolt had popped out, and I thought, well, that's not good. But I still was able to get in and out. Today was the day it gave up the ghost. So I had to call the old right door company. Yeah, don't you hate that, though? To, yeah, they saved me every time, and I shout out to them. So what was wrong with it? Because I had a couple of things, like there, there's gremlins or something going on there with the garage doors. We've had some issues this week, too. I wonder if it's the temperature change. Uh, yeah, he. The, I mean, part of it was just disconnected, so he had to put in a new screw and screw it all the way in, but they uh, really helped me out, so thank you to them. Well, that's good because you, you always, especially it's this time of year, feeling. it is the worst feeling. And it's, yes. it's even worse this time of year when you realize, oh, you know what I'd like to do is spend um, money on a repair for a garage door <laughs> when the holidays are coming up, right? That, that's not what you want to do. All right. No. So we're, we're off and running here. I might start just because I may or may not be a little unprepared for the start of the show, something what? a little what? different off of politics because I know that you're going to like this, but let me kind of lay out what we're doing this afternoon. We're going to get into what happened in Georgia and it was 
relatively close. I think in the end, the polling was accurate in Georgia with Raphael Warnock taking about a three percentage point lead. So now the Democrats have full control of the United States Senate. But we'll get to that. Scott Jennings is going to join us, CNN political contributor, um, get a few thoughts on Kevin McCarthy and his race for speaker and some other folks um, as well being mentioned for that. Oh, and the other thing is, is Senator Hawley wrote a piece today that was in the Washington Post calling for some changes in the Republican Party. So we'll get Scott's take on that. Paul Morrow from Iowa. He is former you know, retired NYPD inspector, the founder of the OpsDesk.org. He's been a great guest for us, and he is all on top of the um, the gruesome murders at the University of Idaho, which I don't know if I mentioned this on the air yesterday or if I just tweeted it out. They say maybe up to about 40 percent of the students, anywhere from 25 to 40 percent, did not come back after Thanksgiving. What? And, what? Because they're 40%. freaked out. Yeah, almost, almost 40 percent, up to 40 percent where I think students were like, forget it. You know, we don't know what's going on. Mom and dad probably had roles in that. We're not going to let you go back. It's only a couple of weeks left. I don't know. They're probably making accommodations for, wow, wow. you know, for for school and everything. They can do that on the Zoom. But I thought that was interesting. It just seems to me one of the things we'll ask Paul this. I, I heard a couple of people saying, and I think this is typically what police and investigators would say, the longer this thing goes on, the more likely that maybe we got a case that does go cold and we don't have answers in it, which is a little frightening. Well, and I can understand people thinking that, but I, I have to say that, you know, don't you think of stabbing and, and multiple times, not to be, I'm trying, not trying to be callous, but is generally by someone you know. Yes, you, I would you know? think so, unless this thing is just so weird, you know, what off the wire, I have no idea. Right. That'll be really good to ask Paul about, because he just got back, he was in Idaho for the past couple of days. Now he's back in New York? He's back in New York, okay. and they taped the big special for Fox News in Iowa on it. And it's interesting to find out, you know, what he might think about that. And I know the police chief uh, of Moscow said, uh, there's no way this case will go cold. We're getting tips every day. I heard him say that. That was, yeah, a bite from yesterday. So it will be, it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. I always like an update on this story. Yeah, we'll do that. Now, here's an update. I was going to save this for later, but just being honest here, I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do at the beginning of the show, Sue. So I'm going to kind of shift into something that I knew that I was going to do anyway. And this is really crazy. Really, it's probably um, a good contender here for audio cut of the day in several uh, in several clips. This is James Michael Grimes. You know who James Michael Grimes is? I do not. You told us about James Michael Grimes during Sue's News for a couple of different days. I'm the worst. Want to take a guess, though? Who? Think Gulf of Mexico. Oh, is he the guy that went off the cruise ship? Yes. What happened? You got to hear this. Oh, That's I'm what I'm dying. telling you. Oh, my gosh. So, Fred, where was this? Was he, he was on, on GMA? C- he was on CNN. <gasps> oh, okay. Because I know he was on ABC as well, but it's hard to tell who's on this ABC. This is new this morning from CNN. They're all having affairs at ABC, so maybe he switched <laughs> yeah, over to Yeah, it's hard to, to, to keep CNN. track, really. So this is on CNN, and... Do you remember any of the 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 details? Yes. So he's on a cruise ship bar. With he's sister. with his sister. At eleven o'clock, he leaves the bar. He won. I don't know if we mentioned this. Did you know that he won an air guitar contest? No, he that won, wasn't yeah. in the original story. So this is what they say: he'd been at a bar on the cruise ship with his sister, winning an air guitar contest. Like when you he do. left, yeah, exactly when he left to go to the bathroom, he didn't return to the bar. Right. Sister's like, wait, where's Where my brother? He? he says that he doesn't remember going overboard. When I came to, I was in the water with no boat in sight. I can't float myself even when I'm trying to. The Lord was with me when I was out there because something was holding me up the whole time. But he wanted to survive. For 15 so, hours. Yes, listen to all this, what he was thinking when he was out there. This is pretty crazy. Uh, well, I didn't yell for help or nothing because there was no one in sight. I didn't figure it would help. But, I mean, I seen a light. Uh, I don't know. It seemed like miles away. 
and I instantly started swimming towards that light because I thought it was the cruise ship. But I ended up finding out after swimming towards it four or five hours, you know, the sun started coming up. I realized it was just an, an oil rigging platform. And uh, I kept trying to swim towards it. And, you know, I never made it to it because I guess when the sun came up, so did the, the tide, the current. It was pushing directly against me. Oof. And it seemed like I swam after the sun came up two more hours towards this oil rigging platform, but I never got any closer to it. So he just speaks of this so matter-of-factly, and I guess maybe I'm thrown off because I didn't expect the the, um, you know, the southern accent. Yeah. makes it sound even more interesting. Uh, uh, a bunch of small fish stayed schooling around me. I went through schools of jellyfish where slime was just pretty much covering my body. I was raking it off my arms and legs. Oh, he was raking the slime off his Fred. arms and legs. Listen to that. And just slinging it away from me. Went through two pretty good schools of jellyfish. And um, and I seen some type of animal. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a shark. This is interesting. But it was three to four foot long, and it had a fin sticking up. And I could see the fin. It was maybe 10, 15 yards from me. And... I could see it just kind of staying at that distance away from me, so I instantly turned toward it, started backpedaling, and was, you know, looking under the water, trying to see if I could see what it was. And it's like when I came back up from under the water, it was right there at me, and it bumped one of my legs, mm. and I kicked it, and it actually went on. Wow. He says, <laughs> the fall didn't kill me. Sea creatures didn't eat me. I feel like I was meant to get out of there. Yeah. I always thought there's a greater purpose for my life. Now I know for sure I'm meant to do something on this earth. Now, I did not see the video. Wow. Have you guys seen the video of when he was rescued? No. No, I'm going to look that see up. Somebody had video of him bobbing around when it was coming. Wait so, a minute. You know what? He's talking about swimming for hours. Like, it's no big deal. Oh, I know. Well, so then he says, did you, did you watch the video? Because he was asked that. Yeah, I've seen it. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say if – I know in the video it says uh, – like, you know, he was 30 seconds from death or a minute from death. I'm not I'm not going to say that I could have lasted out there two, three, four more hours or but 30 seconds. But when I realized the Coast Guard was on their way to get me, you know, and um, I kind of started relaxing. Yeah. So I can I, see that. Did he indicate how, how did he know that? I guess they he just saw well, them. You know, they've got the big, we're coming. Right. And I'm sure he heard announcements <laughs> like that. Hey, we're dude, coming to get we're you. We're coming to get you. And obviously, you go through something like this, and it's going to change you a little bit, I think. Uh, yes, I do. Um, wow. While I was out there, you know, I was praying a lot, talking to God, telling him, I do, if, Lord, if you get me out of here, you know, I'm going to start doing this and not do this anymore. You know, I was kind of wheeling and dealing with God, I guess, <laughs> but it definitely changed my life, my outlook on life. You know, take small things for granted, such as a bottle of water out there. I would have loved to have a bottle of water. You can't just get up and go to your refrigerator, you know. I learned not to take things for granted so much, the small things, and it, it definitely gave me a different outlook on life. I think he'd need an accent. I'm trying to hear. Here's this what he looks like. Who would play, who's going to play him in the movie, Sue? Who's oh, Abby? Let me Who do think, you think about that. Hold you on. Know, I don't know if he's got a little Chris Pratt, but Chris would need the Ooh, accent. I can see Chris Pratt doing that. I can see Chris that. Pratt just a little yeah, bit there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a crazy, that crazy story for that through treading water for hours. Um, Still doesn't know how he fell off the boat. <laughs> I, yeah, that's that's kind of that weird. Is crazy. Well, I think, didn't we kind of come to the 
conclusion that alcohol was certainly involved in that, right? Yeah, he was on the But sauce. how do you do that? That's that's not an easy thing to do. Anyway, it's a great ending. <sighs> wow. And I guarantee you there's going to be at least a Lifetime movie about this one. We're coming back. Scott Jennings. What happened in Georgia? What's going to happen with Kevin McCarthy and beyond? We'll go to Paul Morrow in Idaho. Actually, I think he's back in New York, but he was there for the last two days. That's coming up at 345. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. All right, we're going to talk to Scott Jennings here about some politics, but I understand that he's he's in the middle of something that's a little confusing to me, so we're going to find out what that's all about. Jennings, what's going on here? How are you this afternoon? This is the rubber duck. I'm calling you I'm calling you from uh, my RV. I'm on a road trip heading for uh, south of Orlando, Florida. I'm great. So Fred was briefing me on this a little bit. We had we had a slight delay in getting you on, and he said, we thought maybe you were writing a column for CNN.com or something, like, really important, and you respond to Fred, I'm trying to get my RV hooked up to a propane tank. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. My uh, my I, have, I bought an RV during the pandemic. We fixed it up. It's in pretty good shape. My dad is going to live in it for a few months down in Florida, and so after I finished the election coverage, Last night and this morning on CNN, I flew home to Louisville. I got the RV. We're putting propane in. We're gassing it up, and we're heading for Florida. Is Chevy Chase anywhere near any of this or not? <laughs> well, I'm playing the role of Chevy Chase is me today. That's what <laughs> that's what's happening. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like an adventure, right? Uh, oh, yeah. It was an adventure for Herschel Walker. Let's kind of segue into uh, Georgia. Now, I, I guess let me just start with this. I know that people are going to talk about this and that. But, he, Scott, I think we have to at least come to terms with the fact that no matter what you think, he was not a good candidate, right? I mean, you you have to at least look at that angle just a little teensy tiny, tiny amount, I think, right now. Yeah. I mean, look, the, he had some really unique things about his candidacy. On the one hand, he was famous. He was a legend in Georgia. Everybody knew who he was and, and was generally well thought of. On the other hand, there were things about his life that were really frightening. Now, most of it he had been honest about. He wrote a book about it, talked about his struggles with mental health. Uh, to me, though, there were questions in Georgia voters' minds about whether he was actually uh, okay. And two, I, I do think some of the stuff, you know, about whether or not he's a good dad really did hurt him. And uh, and ultimately, you know, the amount of money that was leveled against him on the character attacks, I think, took a toll. And then finally, you know, as a political entity, he was viewed as a wholly owned subsidiary of Donald Trump. And Georgia is. They don't like Donald Trump. I can I can just tell you, and that that also hurt Walker in the suburbs, and that's where he lost the race. I was a little amazed by how much money was spent. I mean, they they spent three times the amount, didn't they? The yes, Dems? Uh, Dem- yes. Here's the here's the uh, uh, the principal thing to know about modern American politics. Democrats have all the money, literally unlimited money. They never run out. 
The most endangered job title in American politics is a chief budget officer on a Democrat Senate campaign. Because you don't need a budget when the money keeps flowing the way they have it. And they they poured it on. It's interesting. Walker almost won. I mean, he got within two points uh, despite the onslaught. So and every and Republicans won every other office in Georgia uh, outright on election night. So it's not like the state has turned blue. But this Walker candidacy did did have challenges, and obviously it showed. All right, so let me see if you agree with um, Mark Thiessen here. Here's what he said on Fox. Uh, the reason that Walker is not a senator today is because 203,056 203, uh, Georgia voters voted for Brian Kemp but didn't vote for Herschel Walker. Mm-hmm. If, they, if those voters had not split their tickets, he would be a senator today, and it would be a 50-50 Senate. Kind of simplifying it, but probably some truth to that, right? Yeah, we saw a lot of ticket splitting in this election. It certainly happened in Georgia, happened in Ohio. I mean, J.D. Vance won the Senate race there, but finished like 20 points worse than Mike DeWine, the governor. I was talking to an old Republican friend the other night, and his read on the midterms was, I think voters may just want normal people of good character. That's it. That was it. That was the whole bit of punditry, and I thought, you know, that that explains most of the the wins and losses in this election. Not all, but most of them, and certainly – it explains the difference between Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker. Well, I do think that those of us looking from the outside, not necessarily you when you're analyzing this, but just people observing from afar, hearing things about polling and watching it somewhat casually, when you don't realize, like if you, I, I use this Missouri as an example, you, you're in Kentucky, you got someone that comes in, not unlike what happened with Oz, a bit of a carpetbagger, I guess in New York, they didn't mind with Hillary, but a lot of people in, in states, when they've lived there their whole lives, they don't like that very much, no matter what the party is. Yeah, we did have some of that. Uh, Pennsylvania was the biggest example. They tried to hit Walker with that in Georgia, and, you know, I, I thought it was a little disingenuous. I mean, he was born in Georgia. He was a Georgia legend. I mean, it, it, he had deep, deep roots in the state. Yes, he'd been living in Texas, uh, but I do think Georgia voters considered him one of their own. I, I thought that was a little bit of a, a disingenuous attack. To me, the the character stuff was really more of what drug him down. So what are the realistic expectations now? This makes a difference because then there doesn't have to be power sharing and the committee assignments and all that are going to be more controlled by Chuck Schumer, correct? Yeah, and the the principal way you'll feel that is in judiciary, uh, where they'll be able to move the judicial appointments a lot faster. So for Joe Biden, that means putting a a lot more people on the federal bench uh, in a lot more timely fashion. That's the principal way you'll feel it. Did you read Senator Hawley's column this morning? In the Washington Post? I did, no, I did not. What did he have to say? All right, so he, he, let me catch up on this just a little bit because I want your opinion. He goes, uh, the headline was, the GOP is dead. A new GOP must listen to working people. I would ask, by the way, Scott, just for the record, I think you know this, but just in case the audience is low, I would ask Senator Hawley some of these questions directly. But since I asked him a tough question in the aftermath of January 6th, he has not appeared back on the show after helping him put him on the radar here in Missouri. But that's another story. I won't be. No sour grips from the host here this afternoon. He says the old Republican Party is dead. It has been wasting away for years now. And this month's midterm elections are the finishing blow. If Republicans learn nothing else from this election, they must learn that much. And he's basically saying that it's time, these are his words, for Republicans to forge something new, a party that is truly representative of the cultural backbone of the nation, America's working people. That's not necessarily anything new. But the problem is I don't really understand where he thinks that the Republicans are necessarily going wrong. He talks a lot about, he even brings up Social Security, and he goes back to when you were working with George W. Bush on Social Security back in 2005. He says George W. Bush even tried to partially privatize Social Security back in 2005 in the name of growth. These same Republicans have supported ruinous trade policies. Now, I could go back to 2005 and say, look, we were kind of looking at the writing on the wall on some of these big entitlement programs saying, are we going to have enough money? That was part of the goal, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Senator Hawley is trying to apply a marketing slogan uh, to a very complicated, you know, set of policy problems, and really, uh, you know, to try to explain, you know, modern American politics. I, I don't understand what the term "working people" means. I mean. A lot of people go to work. A lot of folks that live in the suburbs around Atlanta get up and go to work. And guess what? They didn't vote for Herschel Walker. I mean, a lot of people in the Phoenix suburbs get up and go to work. They didn't vote for Blake Masters. A lot of people in uh, Ohio get up and go to work. They didn't vote for J.D. Vance, although he did win. And so he keeps saying this, you know, we have to listen to working people. Well, we had the kind of candidates that I think Holly and Trump prefer, and they were almost universally rejected or, or badly underperformed. To me, the better answer is, why can't we have a Republican Party that listens to everybody and make the party as big as possible? What I think the biggest folly of the Trump years, and now the sort of the Holly add-on is, is they're, they're constantly trying to shrink the party. They're constantly trying to get rid of the people they don't like. And the smaller your party, the less you're going to win, and, and we learned that in this election. So I don't disagree that we need to listen to working people, but I think when he says that he means we have to exclude certain kinds of people – and if I were running a campaign, I would try to get as many people of all backgrounds as I could get. The last time Republicans won the national popular vote in a presidential campaign was 2004. George W. Bush figured it out. Ron DeSantis has figured it out in Florida. Mike DeWine in Ohio. Brian Kemp in Georgia. There's Republicans out there to listen to. Uh, uh, if we want to, and I hope the party does. Well, I, I think so, too. And one of the things that's confusing is I, I think a lot of people might agree. Look, he says this. No nation ever got strong by consuming stuff other people make. We need to make an economy that produces critical goods here in this country and creates good-paying jobs for working people. Okay. Well, we've been saying that for a long time, and we've been looking at the manufacturing base erode in this country from the 1960s on, right? Now, we've had some successes, you know, over the years where you get reinvigoration. But the reality of that is getting members of the United States Senate and Congress on board with a policy that um, is more isolationist. I don't know exactly what he's calling for. Yeah, yeah. That, he, yeah there, fundamentally, there is a strain of isolationism running through some of these uh, new Republicans. And there also is a strain of anti-free market. I mean, they don't sound like conservatives to me. They want to withdraw from the world. They want government to interfere in free markets. That's just not the conservatism that, that I've known my entire life. It sounds like Democrats. Frankly, most of my life, that was a Democratic position. Isolationism, give in to unions instead of free markets, and, and so on and so forth. And so I think over the next couple of years, we're going to have a push and pull inside the party about what it's going to look like. And, and ultimately, the policy direction of the party will be set in large part by whoever we nominate for president, and I, I think that's wide open right now. Uh, Scott Jennings with us this afternoon. What's going to happen with the Kevin McCarthy battle to become Speaker? Most people think, and you know, I have people in my ear, and, and I think you, you agree that he's going to be Speaker. People say he's eventually going to be Speaker, but what does this mean in getting to that point, and what concessions might have to be made? Well, they're wanting him to, to make concessions about the rules, although the people who say they are opposed to McCarthy say they will not bend. And so, yes, I believe he'll be the speaker, but, you know, I'm anxious to see how that sorts itself out. Frankly, I'm a little worried about this 222-vote Republican majority. The only way you succeed in a legislative body with a narrow majority is through team unity. This is how Pelosi got things done. She had some fights in her caucus, but ultimately she kept everybody together on the big votes, and they agreed to be a team and to vote together. That's what the Republicans have to do, and if you're going to have people out – uh, saboteurs constantly trying to sabotage McCarthy or sabotage what you know 85 or 90 percent of the party wants to do, uh, it's going to make this look like a three-ring circus, and that's not a good thing for Kevin or uh, anybody else in the Republican leadership. I hope these guys learn the, the value of teamwork as opposed to self-aggrandizement, which is 
I'm sorry to say, what they're practicing right now. Speaking of teamwork, a perfect segue into our always uh, required Cardinals conversation, and it's a big day. As you probably have heard, Wilson Contreras is going to be a St. Louis Cardinal five years, $87.5 million. We were going back and forth a little last night on the text string with Joe Arnold. I like Contreras. I think he can also contribute, obviously, as a DH. It didn't look like the Sean Murphy deal with a trade was going to manifest itself. I guess they went in this direction, but there's still some other questions lingering out there. First of all, on Contreras, you like it? I like it. I mean, the guy's a big bopper, a big bat. I mean, if you just look at the offensive projections for the team, uh, you know, if you if you hold sort of stable what we did last year and then put his statistics into the catching slot, it's a massive upgrade. There's no way to look at it any other way. I, I sent you this the other day, but the, the Zips projections for the Cardinals are already pretty good. You throw his bat in this lineup and yeah, I think we're. Uh, I think I think that offense uh, looks pretty darn strong. One thing that Gould pointed out in one of his columns, and this was before it was his chat, I think, from yesterday, is yeah, that that's certainly going to be a dramatic improvement on the catcher's numbers. But look, the DH numbers for the Cardinals, because of Albert and then Goldie sliding in there, were pretty darn good. So you're going to lose a little of that potentially. Yeah, we we may need to find one more bat or you know somebody else to pick up the pace here. Is it Walker from the minors? I don't know, but I I agree with that. I mean, I, I think. Um, it was fun to watch Albert, but just at a at a uh, a value proposition, and that guy carried the team through most of the second half, especially in uh, uh, September after Goldschmidt got cold. And so, uh, we got to replace that offensive production. He didn't do much in the first half, but but that second half ride was was really on Albert's shoulders. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and the other thing that happened today is Quintana, who w- was certainly not a lock or anything to re-sign with the Cardinals as a free agent, went to the Mets. So the Mets, the Phillies, look, there's some stiff competition yep. in this National League still coming at us. I think. At- yeah, I'm going to miss him. I'm glad we had him. He pitched well for us. I, he was a good player, so I, I wish him well. I, I I look forward to seeing how he uh, turns out further in his career. But I, I, he I, he was a good Cardinal. I like him. Well, listen, you get on the road with that RV. My best to Christy Brinkley if you run into her. And uh, have a great Christmas, and we will talk soon, Scott Jennings. I appreciate it. The rubber duck, over and out. In three. <laughs> Uh, it kind of fits better for the you know the eighteen wheelers, but we'll let him roll with it here. Since he's, he's doing a doing a road trip with um, with dad, that sounds kind of fun. Scott Jennings with us on ninety seven one FM Talk. We have Paul Morrow, who's back in New York, but he was in Idaho last couple of days in that crazy murder case. We'll hook up with Paul coming up next. Uh, man, I'd say what Mark Cox's fascination with the smell of marijuana is just baffling to me. I don't understand. I don't complain about the smell of whiskey when, when he's drinking whiskey, but that's, I guess, another story. Uh, we have Sue's News coming up in the next hour here on 97.1 FM Talk. Also, a little later in the show, Matt Pauly's going to join us. They did get the Cardinals got Wilson Contreras from the Cubs, and I think that's a good thing. Free agent catcher, got a little pop with the bat. Matt is at the winter meeting, so he's going to join us in the next hour. Yesterday, one of the stories that we we left with um, is the sentences for three members of the board of aldermen. They're all going to the big house, Louis Reed, Jeffrey Boyd, both former members of the Reardon Roundtable on Fridays, and also John Collins Muhammad, and those were... Pretty stiff sentences. Former State Senator Jeff Smith, who has been on the roundtable for more than a decade. He was on the roundtable before he went to federal prison. Then he's been on again the past few years, and he's got a pretty good handle on what happens when you end up going to the big house like this. So Jeff's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We're still wildly fascinated in a very tragic and sad way about what happened in Idaho. And Paul Morrow is back with us, retired NYPD investigator, founder of the OpsDesk.org. He was just there in Idaho investigating this, seeing what he could find. Paul, how are you this afternoon? I think you're back in New York, though, right? I am, Mark. Just returned this morning. 
You know, when when this story broke, I remember listening to Fox, I think it was on a Monday morning, and the big story was the murders at the University of Virginia by that football player. But this kind of happened at the same time, and I remember thinking, this is weird. None of this really makes sense. And a month later, it doesn't make sense, does it? No, it really doesn't. And, you know, you actually hit on something there, Mark, which has gone unremarked upon, which is, and I wrote a piece uh, on uh, Fox.com, FoxNews.com, rather, on, online, and it's up on, on my page on FoxNews.com um, about mm, two weeks before both the events you just mentioned that talks about the fact that there is a alarming spike in campus-related crime, generally not on campus, just off of it. And uh, I've never been less pleased about being right because it was somewhat predictive. We've had uh, this real spike in events, and obviously Idaho would be part of that. After coming back from this trip, do you have any better handle on on what, you know, is going on out there, what they're kind of trying to hone in on? Because, you know, and I don't know if I heard you say this earlier today on Fox, but some people have commented that, you know, the, the further away we get from the actual murder, the more likely it does become somewhat of a cold case. They're saying they have leads, and obviously this is a complicated case, but man, you start to think, this is a small town, it wouldn't be that hard, right? At least in your mind you would think that. You would think that. um, Complex investigation, complex crime scene. Um, I don't have much of a better handle on it than I did because they're, they're holding their cards very, very close to the chest. But sometimes what the police don't tell you is as indicative as what they do. So in this instance, trying to read the tea leaves like everybody else, I take a couple of salient facts away to try to form a picture. Number one, they have put out, they put on paper in a press release, which you can't walk back, that they are, quote unquote, making progress. I can tell you that um, some of the sourcing I developed out there involving family members of the victims have represented to me and uh, Lawrence Jones, who I I did his show over the weekend, and Lawrence has done great work on this. Um, They are telling the family members that things are going in the right direction. That's the quote. So what that means to me is that, you know, they, they are making some progress. At the same time, they haven't offered a reward. They've stopped doing press conferences. They've kind of hunkered down. And that tells me that they feel like they're going to get there because think of it in reverse. If they've done all those things, no reward, telling everybody it's going the right direction, trust us, trust us, trust us. And then let's say it's February of next year, at which point we're very much into cold case territory. There's going to be a lot of second guessing. I assume they know that. So at this point, I don't feel it's a cold case. I do feel like they are. They believe they're making progress. And I think that's because the DNA is probably finally starting to come back. They're probably starting to isolate what they think is the perp's profile. They might have some hair that might give you, uh, let's say, uh, a race. Um, they, I believe, may have a footprint. There's some talk about that. They may have something of a shoe size. They have some things coming back. But I think the real fertile area that they're likely getting stuff back from is the digital area. The digital footprint of this person, I think, um, they may be getting close to. Paul, this is Sue. Uh, We heard that a lot of the students did not return, you know, just to that area, like 40 percent or something crazy. But it sounds to me like, uh, are they thinking this was a specifically attacked person? In other words, a targeted person rather than just a random event? Yeah, that's still a question, isn't it? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? So targeted, you know, that's become a real buzz term here. I think that what happened was in terms of just focusing on that word for a second. Um, I've walked the area. I've walked around the crime scene. I've walked up behind it. It's not exactly it, – I'm surprised this is not getting more play. But in the back of the – first of all, the perp didn't go in the front of the house. I would be stunned. It's very exposed. Even 4 in the morning, there's enough light. It's, anybody looking out the window could see him going in. Um, I, I, or even if he went in earlier 
in that I, there's some theories bouncing around out there that he came in earlier in the night and secreted himself someplace in the house, mm. waiting for them all to come home. I'm not willing to marry that story to that story until you know I, I have a better feel for the interior of the house. You know, you got five people living there. I'm not so sure how he thought he could keep himself hidden, but putting that on the shelf, I feel like he definitely came in the back door. Now, why does that matter? Because there's a parking lot out back that doesn't seem to be brought up very much in the narrative on this thing. But, you know, as a cop walking around on the scene, it really jumped out at me. There's a a little bit of woods. It's on a hill, the house, and there's a little bit of woods behind the the house. And then there is a flat part. I mean, a little bit of woods, you know, maybe 20 feet. And then Mm -hmm. a flat parking lot that's quite secluded. But... From the parking lot, you can look down right into those back sliding doors, and you can see a very good portion of the second floor. You could be able to see people coming and going in the common area. So my read is that he came in the back door, he was there, and to be there, you had to want to be there. You're going to go there. You're not going to happen upon it. It's a, it's a, like I said, a secluded parking lot in a residential area, a lot of student housing nested together. I don't believe this is a crime of opportunity to be up in that area. you got to want to go to that area. That alone makes it targeted. But there was some back and forthing between the prosecutor's office and the cops, and that felt to me a little bit like a, you know small-town politics in play. That led to some loss of confidence in the way that they seem to be conveying the case, but that doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong operationally. And, you know, big city police departments blow the messaging, too. God knows there was a proposal here in New York City. So last week over uh, a homeless issue. So just because they haven't done, you know, everything perfectly in terms of conveying messaging doesn't mean that it's going it's not going forward operationally. I do think, however, that they are having some trouble with the families. I think they may be a little bit a little bit slow to get their arms around that piece. You've got to make sure the families are really feel like, you know, you put your arms around them. And you're keeping them in the loop. And that's tough to get back. And I think that's some of what we're seeing now. Yeah, and I think mm. some of the families have been pretty careful. They've been diplomatic in, in just describing what's going on and not trying to be overcritical. But one of the things that I think um, the uh, the parents and the sister of Kaylee Goncalvi, I can't remember how to pronounce her name, were saying that they, they feel like some people, one of the comments this week, they may have cleared some people a little bit too soon. Is there anything to that in your opinion? You know, they could be. Um, but I, you know, as I said on, on air a few times on Fox, is that, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean that that much. I mean, OK, they came out and they cleared somebody and maybe they didn't need to do that. Maybe they could have just said something like, you know, everybody is still a suspect. I think what they wanted very much to do was to clear. And this is based on nothing more than gut, gut feeling and, you know, maybe some soft reporting. I think they wanted to clear the two surviving housemates. Um, you know, the, the, the sure, two girls right. downstairs, Dylan and Bethany, um, they, you know, really felt like those girls had been through a lot. Um, they really assessed that they were not um, part of this crime. And so they really wanted to make sure that they, you know, weren't uh, didn't feel like they were under suspicion and people weren't camped out in front of their houses and wanted to give them distance and respect. And so, yes, yeah, so maybe they went a little bit far. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean that much. This cleared and then this cleared. They get a data point where they see that somebody that they had previously cleared has been obsessively on, let's say, Maddie's Instagram or Kaylee's TikTok videos, because that's what they should be looking at. And I assume they are. They got the FBI with them. The Bureau is good at this kind of stuff, except for my old unit in NYPD intelligence. Uh, I don't know anybody else that can do that as well as the FBI. You can pull those logs. 
you can get to the TikTok logs. You know, they, the, the uh, representatives of the Chinese company are in California. You can pull that stuff and start to look at commonalities. Okay, this IP address is on Kaylee's TikTok 32 times in two days. And then look at that. The same IP is hitting Madison's Instagram 46 times in the week before the event. Interesting. Well, that's somebody who is unnaturally interested. So right. I feel like that's the kind of thing that they're doing now. Yeah, that's it. Now, on the DNA front, I, I, mean, I can't even imagine. Just in the, the apartment or the house, how many people lived in it total? Six people? No. Well, five, and Ethan was there that night, unfortunately, for him staying over with that. Okay. But five people, college friends, boyfriends, uh, all this activity, there was a dog. I can't even imagine how much DNA Mm. and hair and all these other things were in there even before this happened, right? So that's got to overcomplicate it. Sure. And, you know, they were popular. You know, it's a bunch of young girls. They're going to college. Uh, You know, people in the area know them. Um, It was known to be a place where people came uh, came and went. So you are going to have that. However, my understanding, and this was from a family member source, is that the uh, patrol team that responded, well, the patrol officer that responded, I should say, did do a good job in isolating the two interior crime scenes, the two bedrooms. I know it was very easy to jump on the theme that the small-town police department blew it, and, you know, they didn't know what they were doing, and the whole thing has gone sideways, the the crime scenes are contaminated. That was based on nothing more than the fact that there's 28 people in in the department. But most cops, certainly any of the ones that I ever worked with, with knowing a scene like that, the first thing you need to do once you make sure nobody needs aid, you have to see if you can render aid first. Once you've confirmed they're beyond your help, you got to maintain the sanctity of that crime scene. My understanding is that this patrol cop, whoever he or she was, did that. And so what do you have? I think you have a very salient data point you can work with between the two interior crime scenes. There's going to be a commonality of DNA in the defensive wounds. And the police have, it, have said, I'm sticking to their line now, they have said that there are some of the victims who have defensive wounds. That's more than one. We mm-hmm. know Zana is one right. of them from her father. So fingernail scrapings under Zana's fingernails, fingernail scrapings, let's say, in the other bedroom under Madison's fingernails. Now you have something that you can match. And if the two of them have the same foreign DNA under their finger, fingernails, right, right. there's your guy. doesn't mean you yeah. can identify mm-hmm. him, but you have a profile. It's just so complicated and so overwhelmingly sad, you know, as as the parent of I have two boys, but also a little girl. And I just can't even imagine what these parents and these families, especially this time of year, are going through, Paul. So I hope they get some resolution here quickly. Yeah, Mark, Mark, uh, Mark, I can tell you that uh, I spoke to Stephen Salves. Uh, you know, I sat. We had a conversation, uh, you know, good length. And uh, there's no describing the pain the guy's going through. I mean, it's it, you'd be inhuman not to feel it. Well, and I think he's handled himself, you know, under all that pressure and, and stress, too. I think he's handled himself quite well. They want answers, but they're also, I, I think, I sense that they were trying to be pretty responsible here and, in, in, you know, not get too crazy. But his emotions obviously have taken over a couple of times as well, and that's understandable. Paul, thank you so much. I appreciate all the insight here this afternoon in St. Louis. Mark Sue, thank you very much. All right, take care. The, the whole thing is just so confusing. And, you know, now the whole country is like, what in the world happened? Because it's very difficult, I think, for most people to be convinced that this is just something that is not going to be solved. In a small town where there's, right, you know, all these people. Now, in a small town, maybe you don't have as many cameras and things like that. But if... I think what I heard Paul say there, if you got DNA evidence underneath the fingernails, that doesn't mean that that person is in the database, right? So right. then they have to hone in on who 
maybe suspects would be and say, hey, will you give us a DNA sample or mm-hmm. do some of the other, you know, some of the things that have happened with DNA over the last few years, Sue, as you know, well, they'll, they'll go to a cold case, they'll see something that happened 30 years ago, and then it'll come up on 23andMe or that's you know, exactly Ancestry. That's exactly right. And Somebody then they go put and they, it in there. They dig a, you know, a coffee cup out of a garbage can and they it. match it up. Yep. So something's going to happen And that's a here. lot of crime scene to go through. So, yeah, it's wow. going to take a while. All right. They're going to get you up to the top of the hour here. We have um, Sue's News coming up in the next hour right here on 97.1 FM Talk. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 